Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 77, Video Cameras to Buy or Avoid in 2023. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Welcome back to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to the podcast, Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. On this podcast, we talk about all things video, from script writing and storyboarding to how to price your work, contracts, gear talk, you name about it, we chat about it. If you are new to the podcast, I also want to encourage you to go to Facebook and type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. The Filming with Josh group is a private Facebook group where we can continue the discussion from the podcast as well as chat about other things. So be sure to jump onto Facebook and type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. It is March at the time of recording this podcast, which means the fishing is heating up. I've been spending more time on the water fly fishing than I have been doing this podcast or really any video work, if I'm being honest. It's just been an awesome time to go fishing here in Texas. So I've been on all of our hill country rivers chasing everything from trout. Yes, we have trout here in Texas in the hill country. Um, everything from trout to carp to uh, bass, gar, you name it. I've been chasing it on the fly over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's been nice to step away from work a little bit and and do a lot of fly fishing. I, I love fly fishing, so it's just been a lot of fun. Um, but I, I love March, April, May. I mean, this is the time of year where the fishing just starts to really heat up in our rivers. It's just an absolute blast. So if you have been wondering where I've been on the podcast the last couple weeks, well, I've been on one of our various hill country rivers. Today's podcast is all about cameras to buy or avoid in 2023. I'm not going to go over every single make and model out there because the podcast would be like 10 hours long if I did that. Um, But I am going to go through some popular models, um, some popular brands, and I'm just going to give some advice on my thoughts as an owner operator on what you should look at buying or avoiding in 2023. As always, these are just my thoughts and opinions that doesn't make them right or wrong. It's just my advice coming from a working professional who does this every day for a living. But again, take that with a grain of salt. My industry may be different than yours and my opinions and thoughts to video may be different than yours as well. So this is just my thoughts and opinions. But Hopefully, uh, by going through this, maybe I can give you some food for thought when you are considering buying a camera this year. I'm just going to pick a brand, start with that brand, and just go on from there. And I'm going to start with a brand that I'm most familiar with, which is Sony. I am a longtime Sony shooter, so I know their camera systems like the back of my hand. So I'm going to go through Sony first, and then we'll start diving into other brands. Starting with Sony, I'm going to start with one of their newer cameras. That's the FX30. I think that's a buy in 2023. If you are newer to video and you are looking for, um, I don't, I don't want to say an entry level camera because it's not an entry level camera. It's a pretty advanced camera. Uh, it's basically a an APS-C version of the FX3. So it is a very Uh, efficient camera uh, and and definitely not a beginner camera at all, but it is at a beginner price, meaning that it is very affordable. So if you are interested in a a serious camera that can do really good work, um, but at an attractive price point, 
I would consider the FX30. That would be high on my list. Now, I, I don't own an FX30 personally uh, because I am a full-frame snob, <laughs> uh, but Super 35 sensors have been and still are uh, commonplace in the norm for video production across the board, larger than uh, larger than Super 35, some of the VistaVision and full frame and things that we have today. Those things are still relatively new in the video world. Super 35 is still the industry standard for a lot of things, so there's no shame in buying a crop body today. Um, there are a lot of lens choices for Super 35 uh, cameras, um, and you can even use full frame lenses, albeit with a 1.5 times crop factor on the FX30. Um, so. I don't think it's a bad thing that it's not full frame. It's different than full frame, uh, but it's not. that's not a bad thing. In fact, if you're a wildlife shooter or if you have a lot of uh, Super 35 lenses or if you're interested in purchasing and playing around with Super 35 lenses, um, then there's actually a lot of advantages to the FX30 Super 35 sensor. So for the price, I think it's a definite buy. Now, you can get two versions of this camera, one with and one without the top handle get it with the top handle. There's literally no reason other than money not to get it with the top handle, and it's not all that much more to get it with the top handle. The top handle is worth it because it gives you uh, three channels of audio. You get an XLR1, an XLR2, and then you get a 3.5 millimeter jack, and you can use all of those at the same time. And that 3.5 millimeter jack is not the same jack that's on the body of the camera because when the top handle is uh, turned on, essentially, it deactivates the 3.5 millimeter jack, um, mic jack on the side of the camera. So you get the XLR1 and XLR2 and the 3.5 millimeter jack on the handle when you turn the handle on. And you can technically split that 3.5 millimeter jack on the handle using an audio splitter, like a splitting cable, and uh, turn it into four channels of audio. Uh, it's just essentially one of those channels will record on the left track and one will record on the right track and you'll have to split them in post, but you could totally do it. So if you had, um, if you had a, a dual wireless receiver you know, plugged into XLR1 and XLR2 and you wanted two more two more lob mics, you could run another dual wireless receiver and split it into the 3.5 millimeter jack and actually have up to four channels of audio. You can only control channels, uh, the left channel and the right channel with one knob. So you're going to have... Um, you're, you're not going to be able to control those the, the split channels independently, but still, technically, you can do it. So it's a great buy to buy the handle because it expands your ability to three and even potentially four channels of audio. Even if you have an external audio recorder and you don't plan to use the FX30 um, to record audio to internally, it's still good to have it just in case because you never know. You never know when you might need to record audio in camera, whether you're shooting a doc project or um, you're doing a doing an event-related project or something where you just need to record you know, a couple mics straight into the camera. It, it's just a great tool to have, even if you just keep it in your bag and you pull it out a few times a year. So I think the FX30 is a buy in 2023, but if you get it, get it with the top handle. The FX3 is also a buy in 2023. I actually just picked one of those up yesterday. In fact, I'm going to Austin to officially pick it up today. I ordered it yesterday uh, from Texas Media Systems. Uh, Texas Media Systems, by the way, 
is not a sponsor of this podcast, but I do want to give them a shout out. I've bought a ton of gear from Texas Media Systems over the years. Uh, they are a great company. I specifically work with Leroy at Texas Media Systems, and he has helped me to get access to equipment that may not be in stock in most other places across the country, um, but he's helped me resource and find uh, gear that I'm looking for. For example, when I wanted my first FX6 back in February of 2021, not long after it came out, he helped me find one. And if you're, you know, if you know anything about the FX6, it's it was really hard to find um, camera there, you know, those camera bodies for a couple of years. Still, still to this day, like it's better now, but even some places still don't have them. But Texas Media Systems, if I wanted it, they could find it for me. So they're a great company. Um, and and I think if you have a local camera shop near you, like a Texas Media Systems, uh, I definitely want to encourage you to build a relationship with those people, especially if you plan to do a lot of purchasing and whatnot. Um, don't do everything online at B&H. Support your local camera stores and build relationships with people at your local camera stores and, and uh, support them. And they'll support you in the long run. But Texas Media Systems had an FX3 for me that I, I purchased yesterday that I'm going to pick up today. Um, the reason I bought it was to pair it with my FX6. I do have two Sony A1s. We're going to talk about that today. Um, but I use them I use them for video and I use them for photography. Uh, but I have a, sp- a few specific use cases for the FX3, which is why I bought it. But in 2023, I recommend that camera. It's just like the FX30. Um, you get you get a top handle with it. You can't buy it without the top handle. You can only get it with the top handle. But again, that's a good thing in my opinion. But the FX3 has the top handle with the multiple channels of audio. You get you know proper um, proper Cine EI mode like the FX6 or FX9 would have. If you don't know anything about Cine EI, you can Google it. Um, and it's got you know, things like LUT support and just things that you won't find in most Sony mirrorless cameras, uh, time code. You can get time code into any camera for the most part using time code generators like uh, tentacle syncs, for example, but you can do it in the FX3 and FX30 through the side of the camera uh, without having to go through an audio channel like you would with a tentacle sync, uh, which is really convenient. So there's a lot of things about the FX3 that makes it a little bit more geared toward video than your typical um, mirrorless camera would be. It's got a built-in fan, FX30 does as well, which helps to ensure you don't have overheating issues, things like that. So it's just like the FX30, a lot of frame rate options, a lot of 4K options, a lot of Kodak options, and a small compact body with a top handle that gets you multiple channels of audio. The only difference really between the FX3 and the FX30 for the most part is that it's full frame. There are some other minor differences, but the biggest is that it's full full frame versus the FX30's uh, crop sensor. Um, So if you are interested in a bulletproof mirrorless camera from Sony for video and you are specifically looking to do video and no photography and you're willing to spend a little bit more money than uh, what the FX30 would cost and the FX3 is a good buy in 2023. So is the FX6. I personally think as an owner operator, the FX6 is one of, if not the best camera from any brand you can own as a camera owner operator in 2023. Now, I'm not saying the Sony FX6 is the best camera. It is not. There are other cameras that are better than the FX6 at various things. But I'm talking about owner operators, right? Most owner operators don't need to own 
an, an Alexa Mini LF or a, a Red V Raptor. You know, I'm not saying that you can't own those cameras, but most people don't need to own those cameras. Those are typically going to be rental items, right? But from an owner operator standpoint, if you want to own a camera and make money off of that camera day in and day out, then there are a handful of options out there that are geared specifically for video that are really well priced and feature rich. And I think out of all of them, the FX6 is one of the most attractive. It is compact, lightweight. I mean, if you take that top handle and side grip off, the body is laughable how small it is. I mean, it's tiny. It only weighs a couple pounds. You can fly it on a gimbal and you can put the handle and the the top handle and the side grip back on and and uh, rig it out and with V-mount batteries if you want and a whole bunch of other things and put it on an easy rig or on, on your shoulder. I mean, you can configure it in so many different ways. And unlike the mirrorless camera offerings or the FX3 or FX30 offerings, you get built-in ND filters, you get a proper timecode port. I said the FX3, FX30 can do timecode on the side of the body, but it's not through a BNC port. It's through a tiny little, um, it's just like a little micro... SD type slot, or not SD, but micro um, micro HDMI type slot. Whereas uh, uh, on the, and, and I may not even be saying that correctly, but it's something kind of like that. You get the point. It's like a tiny little, tiny little plug on the side of the body. I don't technically know what it's called, but it's not a BNC port like you'd find on a proper camera like the FX6 or FX9. So in the FX6, you've got time code in and out. You've got uh, SDI out. You've got full-size HDMI out. LUT support, um, tons of options inside the camera, things like cache recording where you can, it's basically like a pre-record where it's always recording and deleting until you hit record. So you get like five, 10, 15 seconds of, uh, of record after you hit the record button. It like has already captured that even though you hadn't hit record yet. Really cool for like fishing content, for example, um, where you never know when a, f a fish is going to bite, but you don't want to be rolling the whole time. You know, you get a lot of features like that in the FX6. This is a proper camera and it doesn't have IBIS the way the other cameras would have, but I'm actually okay with that. You know, you get this nice organic handheld look. Um, I don't know if you saw the, uh, if you're in the filming with Josh group, you might've seen the Trout Fest video I did uh, for Trout Fest Texas a couple weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. Um, I shot that completely handheld, uh, no easy rig, no gimbal, nothing, just handheld um, with a 24 to 70 that has no image stabilization in it. There's no IBIS in the camera, but the cameras, when you, when you rig it out, it's a lightweight camera, but when you rig it out, you can make it a little heavier so you can um, get rid of some of those micro jitters and it, it's just comfortable to film with. I shot for you know, two and a half days for Trout Fest handheld, never wore myself out or anything because it's still a lightweight, compact camera. And shot the whole thing handheld without IBIS or without image stabilization. And the whole thing has, you know, this nice organic handheld look to it that you can achieve with a proper camera like the FX6. And I just think from an ergonomic standpoint, from a low light standpoint, from a built-in ND and feature rich standpoint, like having time code and SDI and things like that, that as you grow in your business will eventually become more and more important to you. You can't beat it, especially for $6,000. I mean, honestly, for six grand, that's quite cheap for a camera like that. Uh, a camera like the FX6 10 years ago would have cost five times that kind of price, right? So for six grand, I don't think you can beat the FX6. And from an owner-operator standpoint, I think it's one of the best options out there because it's a Swiss Army knife. You can use it for pretty much anything, whether you're shooting docks or 
corporate or commercial or weddings or whatever. I mean, there's really anything that you can do in video you can do with the FXX. I'm not saying it's the best camera at everything. I'm saying it's a Swiss Army knife that is a great camera to own as an owner-operator. Another one is the FX9. I do still think the FX9 is a great buy in 2023. It's not as attractive as the FX6. I don't own an FX9. I had an FS7 and an FS7 Mark II, and I really came close to buying an FX9. Um, but I went with the 6 instead because I like the size and weight of the 6 better. But the FX9 has some advantages over the 6. Um, it has... Uh, a Super 35 4K mode, which is very useful if you want to go from full frame glass to Super 35 glass, or if you just want extra reach out of your full frame lenses. Um, you've get you've got things like um, Gen Lock, which basically, if you use Gen Lock in combination with uh, uh, Word Clock, you can basically um, sync an audio recorder, for example with the FX9 and not have to worry about timecode drift. You can't do that with most cameras that don't have Genlock and there's not a ton out there that do. So, you know, you've got Genlock on the FX9 that's very useful. You've got the locking E-mount, which is a very strong, robust um, uh, mount for the E-mount lens system. Makes the lenses basically have a lot stronger mount when you mount the uh, lenses to the camera body. My FS7 Mark II had that. It's a little harder to mount the lenses with a locking e-mount, but it's very, very strong. Um, so just various things like that. It's it's built for the shoulder out of the box. Personally, I don't think it's super comfortable out of the box because it's front heavy. So if you're going to shoot on the shoulder, I do think you need to add back weight or change the balance point of the camera. Uh, and quite frankly, I, I have my FX6. I have a setup where I can run it from the shoulder and it's really comfortable to me on the shoulder. Um, but the FX9 was designed to be ran on the shoulder and it doesn't take much to tweak it to get it to run on the shoulder very well. From a documentary and broadcast standpoint, the FX9 is a really hard to beat camera, uh, especially with things like Genlock um, and the Super 35 4K mode. Um, it does miss a few features compared to the FX6, like it doesn't have 4K 120. You can't do raw out directly to recorder unless you add this expensive and big extension unit for the camera. Um, so it's there's a few things about the 9 that uh, are, are not as attractive as the 6, um, but it's still a an awesome camera to own in 2023. So if you're if you're more wanting to get into broadcast and dock work, and you don't mind the extra size and weight, and you, uh, and you don't need to 4K 120, then the FX9 is a really good option still in 2023. The A7S3 is still a good option. Personally, I think the FX3 is a better video camera today than the a7S III, even though they are basically the same thing. The FX3 got a firmware update last year that gave it Cine EI mode and LUT support and the ability to put timecode into that little jack I was talking about earlier. Um, all of those are things that the a7S III cannot do. Um, so technically, while they are basically the same camera, I do think the FX3 is a more proper video camera today because you can give it proper timecode and you can give it... Um, you know, things like, uh, like, like LUTs, LUTs into the camera directly without having to use a monitor or Cine I mode, things like that. But the FX3 does not have a viewfinder and the A7S3 does. Uh, I actually like shooting handheld with a viewfinder more than I do handheld without a viewfinder when using mirrorless cameras because they're small and lightweight. And using the viewfinder allows you to have an extra point of contact, right? Because you have your left hand on the bottom of the camera or on the lens. You have your right hand on the, the right 
grip of the camera, and then you have your face pressed up to the viewfinder, which gives you a third point of contact. Uh, it makes handheld shooting a lot smoother with a lot, lot less shake than you would have if you were just holding a mirrorless camera out in front of you. So I actually prefer shooting handheld with cameras like the a7s3 or a1 over the fx3 now the fx6 is my favorite way to shoot handheld but if you're not gonna buy a camera like that you want a mirrorless camera there's definitely a lot of benefits to having a viewfinder so if you're looking at the fx3 versus a7s3 they're really close in price the fx3 does come with a top handle uh, which you can use in the s3 you just have to have a cage that you can bolt it down into um, but but the fx3 does come with the top handle it does have um, you know, more features like Cine Eye Mode, things like that, but the a7S III has the beautiful viewfinder. So if you're choosing between those two cameras, you just have to decide which is more important to you, the viewfinder or the extra video features and top panel of the FX3. Um, but I do think the a7S III is still very relevant today. So is the A1. I've got two A1s. Those are probably my favorite cameras that I own, uh, even over the FX6, just because they are the ultimate content creating tool. I can use the A1 from anything from shooting um, wildlife photography and event photography to shooting. I just shot really high-end uh, corporate headshots the other day with the A1. Um, I can use the A1 for really anything photo-related because it's 50 megapixels. It shoots up to 30 frames per second at 50 megapixels. If you're on a project and 50 megapixels is too much, it's overkill. You can actually choose in camera to shoot a compressed raw format at 21 or even 12 megapixels to save on space. Um, and the 30 frames per second, I mean, for wildlife and, and event photography, or like I used it for just the other day for shooting sporting clays, it's just amazing. 30 frames per second, I, I use it a lot more than you think than you would think you would for photography because it allows you to get that perfect moment. Um, and then on the video side, you know, you've got 8K30, 10-bit 422. You've got 4K60 in a crop mode. You've got 4K 120, up, you know, up to 120 in full frame. It is a crazy good Swiss Army knife camera. The FX6 is a Swiss Army knife video camera. The A1 is a Swiss Army knife all-around camera because you can use it for all kinds of things, video-related and photo-related. Um, so if you're looking for a camera that's just like an, an incredible video camera and an incredible stills, for cam uh, stills photography camera, the A1 from Sony is the best in the Sony camp. Um, so I think it is a great buy today. It is expensive, though, at $6,500. So if you're going to buy a camera like that, you know, you, you have to know that photo photography makes up a lot of your work because if your main, if your main part of your work is video, then you're really at that price point better off getting an FX6. But if you are doing a lot of photography, then, um, the A1 does make sense at the price point because it can do a lot of things. Um, so it's, it's a great camera. I own both the FX6 and a couple A1s because I, I, I use the A1s a lot as, as C cams, in my video work, and I use them a lot for photography. So for me, they make sense. I even, um, when I shoot for hunting outfits, I rarely even take out my FX6 or FX3. I, I shoot almost everything with the A1s on hunting outfits because typically I'm doing marketing for them. So I'm shooting photography and video. And so having the A1 allows me to, uh, for example, I'm going to go film and photograph turkey hunts in two weeks at Greystone Castle, which is a, a large client of mine. And I'm going to use the A1 as my A-cam, not an FX3, not an FX6. I'm using an A1 because I can shoot uh, 
either 8K video early in the morning when it's kind of dim out. I can shoot 8K 24. I have tons of resolution, great low light. Um, and then as the as the morning starts to get a little brighter out, I'll switch over to Super 35 4K so I get that cropped 4K, you know, up to 60 frames per second, um, which is what I'll probably film the turkeys at. If I want a 120 shot, I can drop down to full frame and get a 4K 120 shot, you know, so there's so many options there. And I'm going to use this. I have uh, this filter ring that allows me to screw on a VND to the front of my 100 to 400. And I can flip it up out of the way so I can shoot video with the ND on, but then flip it out of the way to where there's no ND and switch the camera over to photo mode. And bam, I can start banging out 50 megapixel stills. So I can get tons of great footage and then flip the ND out of the way, switch to photo mode and get tons of great photographs. Um, so I'm going to use that as my A cam for that particular project because it makes more sense because I'm shooting photo and video. You know, I'm not going to be able to shoot stills in the FX6 and the FX3 stills are only 12 megapixels. Uh, the A1 just makes more sense there. Plus neither of those cameras can go into Super 35 4K, whereas the A1 can. Or you can shoot in 8K and crop in post. There's tons of options there. And you can use the FX3 top handle with a half cage from a small rig to run the FX3 top handle into the A1. So I can mic up two hunters with a dual wireless receiver. Uh, or a hunter and a guide with a dual wireless receiver, have the guide mic'd up on one channel, the hunter mic'd up on another, and then have a shotgun mic for the, you know, the ambient sound uh, or any scratch audio of the turkey calling, whatever. And so I can have three channels of audio, 4K 60 crop, 4K 120 full frame, 8K, all in 10-bit 422, and then also, you know, like I said, switch over to photo mode, pop that indie out of the way, and bang out 50 megapixel stills. You, you can't beat that. From a wildlife or outdoor filming perspective, the A1 is extremely hard to beat from that standpoint. Uh, so I use them all the time for all kinds of things. So uh, if you're interested in a camera that can do a lot of things very well and you've got the cash to spend, the A1 is a great buy in 2023. Let's go through some not buys. Let, uh, let's start with the A7C. I recommended this camera a couple of years ago to some friends of mine because it was a really cheap entry-level camera, but today I think there are better options. If you are a if you are a video centric person and and you're really you know more concentrated on video than anything else, don't buy the A7C. It is an 8-bit camera that just can't hang with the other options that are out there. You'd be better off buying an FX30 and going the Super 35 route than you would the A7C. And the same goes for the A7 III. They're 8-bit cameras. They shoot really crappy slow motion because the HD is the only option for slow motion, and the HD is pixel bend, and uh, not very well pixel bend on those two cameras. So I, I just don't think from a video standpoint, the a7C or a7 III are worth buying today, nor is the a7R4, uh, because it's very similar in that regard. I would avoid, for video, I would avoid the a7C, a7 III, and a7R four in 2023, even the A7R3, all those cameras are older models with low bit rate, 4K footage at 8-bit and really crappy pixel bend um, HD footage I, to get slow motion. I just don't think they're worth buying for video in 2023. I would put those on my avoid list. The A7R5, I actually also would not buy in 2023 if video is your main focus. It has horrible rolling shutter, just horrible rolling shutter. Um, and it's not the best in any kind of dimly lit 
you know, situation. So unless you're shooting talking heads only, which most people are shooting a wide variety of things, I wouldn't buy the A7R5 as a video camera. I'm not saying don't buy it as a photo camera, but as a video camera in 2023, I would avoid that camera because the rolling shutter is just awful and uh, I just, they're just better options. Um, same goes with the A7 IV. If you are looking for a very cheap camera that can do a little bit of photography and a little bit of video, fine, buy the A7 IV. But if you are a video-focused person, avoid the A7 IV in 2023. It has overheating issues, it has some rolling shutter issues, and there are just better options. You could buy the FX30 and get a much more complete video camera than you could ever get out of the a7 IV. Only buy the a7 IV 2023 if you do a little bit of photo and a little bit of video and you're not super serious about either. But if you're trying to get serious about video specifically, don't buy that in 2023. Look at the FX30 for, the, for a similar price point. Um, and that's really about it. I mean, there are other cameras. I think in 2023, um, if you're looking for a really cheap entry-level video, proper video camera in 2023, you can go to eBay or Facebook Marketplace and buy a used FS7. I do think there's still good buys in 2023 for the price point because you get, you know, a really good camera that can still do amazing work with proper, you know, proper indie filters and audio inputs and form factors and things like that. Um, that are still relevant today. Uh, so I think the FS7 is still a good buy today. If you can pick one up used for like three grand, you know, I, I think they're good buys in 2023. So if you're looking for a used proper video camera or cinema camera, whatever you want to call it, I do think the FS7 is a good buy in 2023. The FS5, no. Um, I would not buy that in 2023. It's an 8-bit only 4K camera there are better options out there in the FS5. I would avoid that. But the FS7 is still a good buy in 2023. Um, so I, I would consider that um, some of the older models, the F55s, F5s, um, they're not bad buys for the used price in 2023, but there are some obstacles into getting them set up and running, especially with some of the lensing options because some of those are not E-mount. Um, so I don't know that I would recommend that as much unless you're you know fully equipped to run those cameras and the different uh, lens mounts that they might have. But I would definitely say the, a, the FS7 or FS7 Mark II used is a, a good camera worth buying in 2023. Um, but that's pretty much my roundabout on Sony. Like I said, I didn't go through every make and model. Um, uh, one last note, avoid all 6,000 series cameras. You don't need to buy those. They're very old today. Sony hasn't done a really good job of updating their A6000 series. I wouldn't buy a single A6000 model today. If you want a good a, a, you know, APS-C camera, jump into the FX30 uh, or find yourself a used A7S2 or something like that. I wouldn't buy uh, an A6000 series camera today. But that's my Sony wrap up. Let's jump on over to Canon now. Um, from Canon, I'm not gonna go into as much detail as I did with Sony because um, I'm not as familiar with every model from Canon, but I will give you some highlights and some, some th thoughts on what to do and not do with Canon in 2023. Um, the R5 is what I'll start with. That is a popular Canon camera. I think the R5 is good if you're kind of like the a7 IV, if you're trying to do um, a little bit of photo and a little bit of video, maybe you're in the wedding world and you're just using your R5 to get a lot of B-roll content 
and also for photography and things like that. I think it's a good buy from a content creator perspective, but as a serious video only tool, I would avoid it in 2023 just because of the overheating issues. And I know that they've came out with firmware updates and things to help it, but it still struggles. Um, I just think there are better options from camera, uh, from Canon if you are serious about video specifically. If you're just looking for a good all-around tool that can shoot great stills and some decent video and it's not going to be your A cam or anything like that, then yeah, get the R5. I think it's a good buy. Um, but if you are wanting to make that your A cam and you're serious about video, I just think there are better options than the R5 and I wouldn't buy it for that uh, just because I, I think the overheating is still a problem. It's still something I would worry about. And there are just better options from Canon today than the R5 uh, as a video A cam. But if you're looking for an all around tool, it's going to be used for a little bit of B-roll and and some photography, and it's not going to be you know, rolling for interviews for extended period of time or anything like that. Then, uh, then yeah, I get it. But um, if it's your if it's your A cam, don't get it. Uh, not in twenty twenty three. I'll lead that into the R five C, which is a more video centric version version of the R five. Um, the R five C is a better video camera in some regards. It has a, a fan, so it helps with that overheating problem I just mentioned. It also has eight K sixty. If you have a way to add um, external power to the camera to give it more power. It has to have a larger power source to really do the 8K60, um, but it does have it if you have a way to power it. Um, so there are some really cool features about the R5C, um, like, like the fan and the 8K60 option, but the R5C, in order to be in their cinema line, they removed the IBIS. Um, most cinema cameras like the FX6, FX9, the Reds, the Black Magics, the, um, the Aries, they're not going to have IBIS, right? And so uh, neither does the Canon C70. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, and neither does the R5C. C is the Cine version of R5, hence the C. And so when you, um, when you buy an R5C, the IBIS is removed. So you do get 8K60 with an external power source, you do get a cooling fan to get past the R5's overheating issues, um, and you get a dedicated photo video switch that allows you to have two different sets of menus. That would kind of annoy me, to be honest, but it's there if you want it. Um, but you lose IBIS. So if you're going to be shooting handheld, you have to add a bunch of weight to the camera um, and uh, try to rig it out to make it a better handheld tool or else you're going to get a lot of micro jitters. The FX6 and FX9, for example, are better handheld shooting cameras because they're they're better designed ergonomically and they have a little bit more weight to them. I said that the FX6 is tiny and it is as the body only, but when you add the top handle and the side grip and batteries and things like that, it does make it a little heavier. And between that and the ergonomics, it's going to give you smoother handheld shots without the micro jitters. The FX9 is even better in that regard. The R5C is still at its core a mirrorless camera, which means it's still really lightweight. So if you're hand holding it without IBIS, you're going to have micro jitters. So the only way to combat that is to rig the camera out to make it bigger and heavier. Um, so it's an R5 essentially with 
8K60 and a cooling fan minus IBIS. So that's something to think about. The other problem with the R5C is it's got really bad battery life. It's well known that the battery life in the R5C is pretty terrible. So you're gonna wanna probably power it with an external battery source anyway, um, which will give you some weight back and make it a little bit better for handheld shooting if you have an external battery source like a V-mount battery hooked up to it. But you gotta just keep it in mind that you know right out of the gate, the standard battery on that camera is not very good um, because it just eats up way too much battery power, uh, I guess, for the fan and things like that. Um, and then on top of that, again, you don't have IBIS. So is it a buy in 2023? Maybe. I, I think it's up to you. I, I personally wouldn't buy it. I think there are better options. But if you love the image out of the R5, but you are worried about the overheating and you don't care about the... Uh, you know, the, the lack of IBIS or the battery life, then yeah, buy it. Um, if you are someone that's going to be doing a lot of handheld shooting and you know, you're concerned about battery life, then no, I think there are better options in 2023. The R6 and R6 II are actually buys in 2023. I actually think those are great cameras. If I was telling somebody today, you know, uh, to get a, you know, a pretty well-priced, well-rounded camera in the Canon lineup, I would actually recommend, um, the R6 R6 or R6 II. Probably the R6 II, it's got a few more features than the R6, but both are bulletproof um, camera bodies. They got great photos. They shoot great photos and they shoot great video. They're basically, you know, like back when Sony came out with the a7 III, like that was a really well-rounded camera. And I think of the R6 and the R6 II as a more modern version of that. Um, they shoot, you know, just enough megapixels to give you really great quality photographs. And they have just enough video features, 4K 60, 10-bit, things like that, to give you a really great well-rounded video camera as well. I think the R6 and R6 II are great buys in 2023, especially the R6 II. So if you're looking for a really well-rounded full-frame Canon camera at a good price, it's really hard to beat the R6 or R6 II today. And I definitely have those on buys for 2023. The R8 is similar to the R6 and R6 II. It just doesn't have IBIS. It has a little bit different body, body layout. It's missing joysticks and things like that, but it's a lot cheaper. So if you're okay with missing some of those features, um, then the R8 is also a good buy in 2023. Even the R7 from Canon is a good buy in 2023. All of those models are good buys in 2023. I, I think that they have a lot of features with a, less, a lot less drawbacks than the R5 and R5C. No, they're not 40-something megapixel cameras. No, they don't shoot 8K like the R5 and R5C do, but they're better cameras from a well-rounded standpoint. So if you're looking for just a well-rounded photo video camera, then yeah, the R6, R6 II, R8, R7, I would I would consider any of those uh, buys in 2023. Same thing with the EOS R3. I think the EOS R3 personally is Canon's most well-rounded mirrorless camera. Um, and if you are looking for their flagship model, that's the way to go. No, it's not a high resolution stills camera, but it shoots great, great images. It's basically their, their mirrorless version of their 1DX series. You got great stills, shoots you know photos really fast, and then you've got a lot of great video features. If you are looking for a any really well-rounded, high-speed sports and action and wildlife camera, for photography that shoots amazing video um, and you've got the cash, um, then I, I say the R3 is a great buy in 2023 and the video out of it's pretty, pretty good. Um, the C70 is a great buy in 2023. It is an amazing 
camera for what it is. It's well-priced. It's not full frame like the FX6, um, but it is priced similarly. It doesn't have full XLR, full-size XLR inputs, but it does have uh, an ability to get XLRs into the camera. Um, and it does have a lot of really great features like built-in ND. No, it's not going to be like Sony's electronic variable ND. Um, it's stepped ND, but it has it, you know? And it's got things like false color that Sony does not have built straight into the camera, which is really cool. Um, so I think the C70 is a good buy in 2023. If you're looking for a video-centric camera only, you don't care about photography, then the C70 is a great buy in 2023. I think from a Canon standpoint, it's probably their, their most well-rounded video camera that is not a C300 or C500. Um, so if you are interested in a well-rounded video camera only from Canon, I think the C70 is a great buy in 2023. Let's go through some not buys. The C300 III and C500 II. I can't believe I'm saying that. Because if I was a Canon shooter, those are probably one of the, you know, the, probably the, the, the two models I would look at buying. <laughs> but they have one major drawback, both of them. The C300 III and the C500 II are Canon EF mounted cinema cameras, which I think is ridiculous. They both went under, went under some price drops recently, making them much more affordable. And I do think the C500 Mark II, for example, is a freaking awesome camera. So is the C300 III. From a pure camera standpoint, they are amazing cameras. And if you've got EF glass lying around and you don't mind having an EF camera today, then yeah, get them. But the big problem for me is that they chose to go with EF mounts over RF. It makes no sense. You see, you can take an EF lens and adapt it to an RF camera, but you cannot do the opposite. You cannot take an RF lens and mount it to an EF camera with an adapter because of the flange distance, which is the distance between the sensor and the lens mount. So you can buy a camera like the C70 and you can, which is an RF mounted camera and you can run an RF lens on it which is their newer model of lenses, or you can get an older EF lens and adapt it to the C70, so you can run either type of lens. But on the C300 III and the C500 II, you can't. You can only ever run EF lenses. You cannot run RF lenses on those cameras, which is horrible because if you are someone who wants to buy one of Canon's mirrorless cameras and run native lenses on it, you won't be able to use those same lenses on your cinema camera, which is stupid. Really, really stupid. They should have made the C300 III and the C500 II NRF mount so that you have the choice. You can either run the newer RF glass natively or you can adapt the older model glass. But by going with EF, they cut out all of their new lenses, all of their new lenses. None of them can be used on these two cameras, which is really, really dumb. I do think that the price drops that these cameras have undergone is indicative of the fact that I do think newer versions are coming out. And I do think that the newer versions will be RF mounted, which is why I say don't buy these cameras in 2023. Instead, hold out. If you are looking at a C303 or C502, hold out and wait for the RF version, the newer version that I'm pretty sure is coming because that version can run your older EF glass or newer RF glass. Um, so the only reason I would buy a C303 or C502 today is if you already own a bunch of EF glass and you can get one on a really good deal. But even if you do own, you know, older model EF glass, I still think it's, it's you know, 
in your best interest to hold off and wait for the newer version because then you have the option to run your older glass or, your, or the newer glass. But I think Canon going with the older EF mount was a really bad move. Um, I, I think it was really stupid. Even Red you know, got permission from Canon to run RF mounts on their current model cameras because even Red is like, yeah, let's run RF because we can use RF lenses or we can adapt EF or PL to it. <laughs> Even Red gets it. So why Canon did that makes absolutely no sense to me. So I think the C303 and C502 are only worth buying in, in 2023 if you get a really good deal on them and you have older glass. Otherwise, I say don't buy them in 2023. The C200 is uh, also heavily discounted right now. I think it too is going to be replaced with a newer version that's RF mounted. So I, you know, again, I would avoid buying that today unless you just get a wicked deal on it and you don't mind running older glass. But all of those cameras, I personally would hold off until you can get RF, you know, versions unless, again, you get a really good deal. Uh, and on that same, you know, note, I would avoid any Canon DSLR today. DSLRs are old. You can't... Uh, you can't buy a lot of uh, lenses for them. I mean, you can, but you can't buy a lot of newer lenses, I guess is what I meant to say, because the manufacturers for uh, older Canon DSLRs uh, or older Nikon DSLRs, even Sony's A-mounted SLT cameras, they're not developing any lenses for those models anymore. So you have a lot of lens options for Canon DSLRs today, a lot of older you know, model options, but if you buy a Canon DSLR today, you'll never be able to buy a new modern lens for it because they're not making them anymore. So personally, I would not buy a Canon DSLR today because of that alone. The only reason I get a Canon DSLR today is if you get a wicked deal on like a, a 1DX Mark III or something, and again, you have a bunch of EF glass lying around. But if you are new to the game, don't buy a Canon DSLR today because you're trapping yourself in a system that has lenses that are being discontinued and that are never going to be, um, you know, no, new models are never going to come out for it. So I personally would not buy a Canon DSLR in 2023. Let's talk about RED. I mentioned RED a second ago, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in there. <sighs> RED is a tricky one for me. I think RED makes amazing cameras, and their cameras are... They're great for certain types of projects. If you're doing a lot of green screen or VFX work, Red's Red Code RAW format combined with their higher resolution sensors make a lot of sense. If you are a wildlife, dedicated wildlife video shooter only, and you're not even doing stills or anything, you're just doing high-end wildlife video, yeah, man, like the new V-Raptor Rhino edition is an awesome camera. A lot of frame rate and resolution and crop options to get you closer to the action. You know, it's a super 35 sensor, so uh, it's already cropped in. And, you know, if you put a 600 F4 prime on it, you're going to have, you know, a crop factor on top of that. Plus, you can get more crop uh, on, the, on, on the, the Rhino depending on, you know, which resolution and frame rate combination you're using. So there's a lot of of great reasons to go with a camera like that for wildlife video today, uh, you know, high-end wildlife video. Um, so I think there's a place for the V-Raptor, the V-Raptor Rhino, um, the different Ranger editions, the, um, you've got the, uh, the, the Raven, or not the Raven, that's the older model, the um, Komodo. All of those cameras have their place. I just... As an everyday 
as an everyday camera owner operator who shoots a wide range of video, for me personally, they don't make sense as a, as a camera to buy. As a rental tool, sure. You know, if you have a project coming up that's going to have a lot of VFX work or maybe you're, you know, getting hired and, and you're working for another production house and they specifically request you shoot it on RED for some reason or, or maybe you just want, you know, to, to work with RED for your own personal reasons for a project, then yeah, rent it. I just don't, I just don't see the need of buying one in 2023 if you are doing a wide variety of work. Again, if you are specializing in something like high-end wildlife video and that's all you do, then yeah, and you got the cash for it and you're making the money on the jobs, sure, buy yourself a V-Raptor Rhino Edition. But I just think if you're if you're someone who's doing a wide range of projects, with most which most of us are, you know, most of us are doing a wide range of projects from commercial and corporate work to mini docs to short film projects to web videos to live streaming and event coverage. I mean, most of us are working in a wide range of fields. And as a result, I just think there are better options today. You could take that money that you could spend on a RED and you could put it toward something like an FX6 or an FX9 and you could uh, spend the rest of your money on lighting and audio gear and have a better setup because those cameras are better tools in a wider range of environments than RED is. RED is going to struggle in certain applications that cameras like the FX6 and FX9 would excel in. You know, those cameras are more user-friendly, especially if you're working with a small crew or by yourself. You know, autofocus today is useful. I'll I'll come out and say it. It is a useful tool today. I use autofocus on the FX6 all the time. Not 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 for everything, but it definitely has a place. I have my autofocus on my camera on the lens and on uh, the focus mag button. Both my lens button and my focus mag buttons on my FX6 are are uh, custom set to a uh, focus hold, essentially, or not focus hold, but it's a um, autofocus on hold, essentially. So I shoot manual on the FX6. Um, the camera, the lens is set to autofocus. The camera is set to manual focus, but I can override that by pressing and holding the lens button or the focus mag button on my camera. I got this tip from Doug Jensen. It's a great way to work because I'm shooting video you know, in manual the whole time, but if I want to autofocus, I can press and hold either the lens button or the focus mag button and autofocus kicks on. So if I'm like filming a doc project and, you know, and, and someone's walking toward me and I'm shooting by myself without a focus puller, I can just hit and hold one of those buttons and the camera will lock onto the face and the eye and hold onto that as long as I'm holding down that button. And it just makes it so useful. I don't have to worry about losing focus at all. And then whenever I'm done, I just let go of the button and the focus stays where it's at. It's a great way to work. You know, autofocus is a very useful tool today. Having the ability to have um, built-in ND filters and built-in audio inputs, for example, things that reds don't really have that you have to work around. Those things are so useful in today's world where you're working with smaller and smaller crews or by yourself. So I think reds are great tools. I'm not trying to say they're not good tools. I just think from an owner operator standpoint, if you are working in a wide range of projects, I just think there are better tools today. And if you want a red for a project, rent it. Um, So I think Unless you are in a very unique situation, reds are a void in 2023. And you should focus on buying cameras that are more well-suited for a wide range of projects. Um, So again, take that with a grain of salt. But 
That's my opinion on Red in 2023. Um, Panasonic is a tough one for me. So Panasonic has really great Micro Four Third options, but I would not buy Micro Four Third today unless you have a very specific use case. Um, like maybe you want the tiny little lenses because you're packing up to Mount Everest and you're shooting a project while you're doing it, then fine. You know, if you're like, if you're rock climbing and you need tiny, tiny lenses and tiny camera bodies and yeah, buy, you know, buy a micro four thirds Panasonic. I get it. Uh, or if you need the crop factor for some reason, maybe you're filming some wildlife and you want the crop factor you get with micro four thirds. That's fine too. But for most people, I think micro four thirds today is kind of no longer really worth buying when you have so many great Super 35 and full frame options, especially cameras like the A1 that can do full frame and Super 35, which gives you you know a variety of options. So I think today, Micro Four Thirds, unless you have a specific use case, isn't really worth it. The full frame line of Panasonic cameras are very attractive. They are full of video features, more than most Canon and Sony cameras are going to have from a mirrorless standpoint. The problem is, is they don't have a ton of lenses yet. They're in that, you know, that L-mount alliance or whatever you want to call it, that, you know, Leica and, you know, Sigma and um, Panasonic all have together. And I think another company recently joined in the L-mount alliance or whatever, where they all make, you know, lenses in the same mount, but there's still not a lot of lens options in the L-mount line compared to some of these other brands. So I think some of the some of the problems I have with Panasonic is their full frame lineup is missing lenses that I would want personally and their autofocus is really lacking. They finally came out with their first um, kind of phase detect autofocus that's kind of similar to what Canon and, and Sony and Nikon are doing, but it's still got a long way to go. But if you're not worried about that, if you're not worried about autofocus at all, and you're not worried about, you know, the lensing you've, you know, Panasonic has, you know, enough lenses for you, then yeah, I think some of their full frame offerings are really great. I think they're feature rich. They have a, a, a really pretty color and they have a lot of video features that Sony camera Canon don't have in their mirrorless cameras. So I think, I think yes and no, I think they're worth it. Again, if you, if you feel like they have enough lenses for you and you know, you want all the video features they have, you want their colors, and you don't mind um, not having good autofocus. But if you do care about autofocus and you um, want a wider variety of lenses, then I would not buy Panasonic in 2023. But um, if you don't mind uh, no autofocus and, and, and you want you know, you think the lenses are fine, then yeah, I think I think it can be a great buy in 2023. I would not buy the Eva 1 or the Vericam LT in 2023, though, because I think they're too long in the tooth and have too many uh, issues today. Like the boot up time in the Vericam LT is a, I mean, it, is, it takes it like a minute to boot up. <laughs> and I, to me, that's just got too many problems. Uh, I think there are better cameras for the money. But uh, from a mirrorless full frame standpoint, I think yes or no just kind of depends on you, honestly. Nikon? Depends. If you are a Nikon shooter and you've got Nikon glass, then yeah, stay with their system. You know, don't don't spend your money going elsewhere. The problem with Nikon and and, and Panasonic kind of has this problem too. Panasonic hasn't come out with a video camera in a long time. They came out with the Vericam, the Vericam LT, and the Eva One years ago, but those those cameras are old today. They haven't updated them in a long time. So if you buy into their you know their system, 
you don't really have a, a modern day video camera or cinema camera to pair with their full frame cameras. And Nikon has the same problem. Nikon has never made a video camera or a cinema camera. So if you buy a Nikon mirrorless camera today, you should only do so if you know that you're never gonna need a video camera or cinema camera. Um, because if you ever want one and you wanna pair your, you know, your Nikon with it as a B cam, you're, SO, you know, you're SOL. So I think personally, Nikon is worth buying if you know you are never gonna need a video or cinema camera. Uh, if you are only gonna do like weddings and real estate, which are great markets to be in right now, um, if that's you and you don't mind not having a video camera because I do think those markets are, are better suited for mirrorless cameras, then yeah, go for it. If you like Nikon's colors um, and you like their body layout and their lenses, then yeah, I think there's a lot to like there. Um, but you just have to keep in mind that if you ever want to expand and grab a, a cinema camera, you're, you know, you're going to end up having to switch brands down the road. Um, so that would be my one problem with Nikon. Um, that being said, Nikon's mirrorless cameras are lacking in a lot of ways. I think their Z6, Z7, Z6 II, Z7 II are they're decent cameras, but like Sony and Canon are crushing those cameras in terms of like frame rate and color depth and bit rate options. Um, that being said, the Nikon Z9 is a great buy. I think the Z9 is one of the best mirrorless cameras ever made. Um, I, I think it compares very well to the A1 and even beats it in some regards. Currently, it has an internal uh, raw light format. They're being sued by Red over it, but it has you know the lawsuit hasn't officially gone to court yet. So as of today, you can still buy a Z9 and have the ability to record raw internally. I'm sure Nikon will lose that lawsuit and will come out with a firmware update that removes the internal raw. But if you already bought one of the Z9s, then you just don't have to add the firmware update. Um, so I think you know you you buy it today, you get a form of internal raw, you get 8K60, which the A1 does not have. The R5C has that, but you have to have an external power source to get it. And the Nikon, you don't need that. Uh, the Nikon's got some nice oversampled 4K options. It's got super 35 4K options. It's just got a, uh, it's just got a lot going for it. Backlit buttons, which is awesome. I wish, I wish Sony would do that. Uh, so I think the Z9 is actually one of the best. I think the Z9 is one of the best mirrorless cameras, uh, on the market today, and I definitely think if you are interested in an all-around mirrorless camera and you don't care about ever buying a video camera or cinema camera, I think the Z9 is an absolute buy in 2023, and uh, there are a lot of really cool, unique lenses for Nikon, and it's well-priced. You can buy it for quite a bit cheaper than like the A1, for example, so I think the Z9 is a definite buy in 2023, uh, again, as long as you don't need a video or cinema camera down the road. Nikon's other cameras, Personally, I would hold off and wait and see what else comes out because I think they're kind of behind. But I do think Nikon will update those cameras with newer models. Um, so uh, just keep your eye out for them. Blackmagic. I don't know, man. Blackmagic is uh, an interesting company. I I'm recently switched to Resolve full-time. been coloring in Resolve for about 10 years now, but I just now... You hear that? 
my wife accidentally gave my my son the car keys and I heard him turn the car alarm on just now. <laughs> He's really bad about that. Um, but anyway, I've been coloring Resolve for a long time, for about 10 years now. Just moved full-time to Resolve from Premiere. Love the program. Love Blackmagic and the things that they're doing. I've got an ATEM Mini Pro ISO from Blackmagic. A lot of other Blackmagic products. Uh, I think they're great. Uh, and I think their cameras have amazing color and they're feature-rich. And they're very affordable. Um, like the, uh, I actually think the Ursa Mini 12K is a cool camera and the 12K files are actually at very editable and not as large as you would think they would be. And they work really well in Resolve. But I, my, my struggle with Blackmagic is again, you know, Blackmagic's appeal when they first came out was affordable prices for image quality that pumps, you know, way above the, you know, their weight class. But today, most mirrorless cameras from Sony or Canon or Panasonic or Nikon, especially, you know, the, the newer models, they can keep up with the Blackmagics at a similar price point, but with things like autofocus and audio adapters and things like that, you know, like you could buy the Pocket 6K, sure, it's a great camera for the money, but you could take that same money and buy an FX3 and have, you know, proper XLR inputs and a top handle and a flip out rotatable screen. And, you know, just there's just so many things about it, you know, autofocus, cinema cameras that you can pair with it, etc. Yeah, you can buy the Pocket 6K, you can get a pro version that's got ND filters, you can buy the Ursa line. They're all great cameras with really good files. I just think Blackmagic's appeal is kind of being lost compared to what is coming out from Sony, Canon, Panasonic, and Nikon, I just think those cameras today are starting to have a lot more options and are starting to be really similar in image quality for the money uh, as Blackmagic. So I, I, I think it's really up to you. I think if you have some you know, EF glass from Canon and you can get a good deal on a Blackmagic Pocket 6K, for example, and you don't care about autofocus and you want... Uh, black magic's colors and fine go for it but if you're new and you're starting out and you're wanting to buy your first kind of video tool i would lean more toward a sony or a canon personally uh, well, that's just my opinion but again i think black magic's a tough buy in 2023 i think their appeal that they used to have for price per per image uh, is starting to be um starting to be surpassed so that's that's my opinion on that fujifilm Fuji makes great cameras. I think that if you don't, again, if you don't care about buying a cinema camera or video camera down the road, then yeah, I think there are some amazing options. They don't have full frame cameras. They do have um, options for medium format, which is cool, um, but I wouldn't buy that for video. If you're interested in video and you don't need full frame, then Fuji's got some amazing crop bodies um, that shoot incredible video with a lot of video options. But again, Fuji's kind of like Panasonic. Their, um, their autofocus is still behind Sony and Canon and Nikon. And they don't make they don't make video cameras or cinema cameras. So if you buy one of their one of their you know cameras, there's no upgrade path for you down the road. Um, you'll have to eventually switch over to a different system and sell your cameras and lenses if you want to buy you know a cinema camera or video camera down the road. So that's my problem with Fujifilm. I just think personally, man, if you're going to get into video and you and you want to have a cinema camera or video camera down the road, 
honestly, I still think Sony and Canon are the best options today. You know, I, I went over why I, I feel, you know, red from an owner-operator standpoint, unless you're a very unique market, doesn't make sense. And I just feel, you know, the same is true about Panasonic, Nikon, Blackmagic, and Fuji. I just think Canon and Sony buy you know, by far still make the most sense for people because of the upgrade path. You can buy, you know, you can buy their APS-C models or their full frame models and get in their mirrorless lineup. And then eventually, you know, take those same lenses you invest in and move them toward their cinema cameras down the road. I think there's just more upside there. I think the Fujis and, and Nikons and Panasonics of the world are just a lot more limiting. And, and you should only go with those cameras if you never intend to buy a cinema camera or video camera. But and that's my opinion on cameras. There are other cameras out there, uh, but this is this is where I'm going to leave it today. I think this is the, really the most common brands of cameras that people are going to look into when they're looking to buy cameras. And, and so this is my advice in 2023. Again, I didn't go over every brand or model, um, but just from a generic standpoint, this is my advice on buying cameras in 2023 from a working professional. I think if you are... Um, someone who's very serious about video. There are a lot of options out there today, um, but hopefully this podcast will give you some food for thought. Remember, these are my opinions. It doesn't make them right or wrong, um, but I do think there's a lot of merit to what I said. So I hope that in some form or fashion, I'll at least get you to thinking about uh, what I said today and um, thinking about what you should or should not do in 2023. Again, if you're new to the podcast, go to Filming with Josh on Facebook and ask to join the group and I'll be sure to approve you and uh, hit the subscribe button to continue to listen to more podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you guys next week. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today. Yeah.